Good evening. Hi, everybody. Um, happy November. I just took down all of my uh, Halloween stuff. And I can't believe it. I guess Thanksgiving's right around the corner. So welcome to Room 1 Coaching. It's five o'clock. We'll go ahead and get started. So if you have anything you'd like to be coached on tonight, please go ahead and raise your hand. And then um, we can get started. And it might take a couple minutes for people to kind of get logged on. So if you have anything you want to talk about, go ahead and raise your hand. So, so far, Alice in Wonderland, that's such a great, um, that's such a great name. In fact, at the Trunk or Treat on Friday night, we did ours as a, Nightmare Before Christmas, and then the winners, there was a winner at my daughter's school, and it was Alice in Wonderland. Those guys won last year, too, so I think I need to put a little more effort in. But anyway, so far, you're the only one logged in, so if you want anything um, coaching, so yeah, cool, here we go. Hey, how you doing? Good, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, so I'm kind of new here and I'm not really sure how to go about applying the model to this or if it really applies at all, but, um, I am, um, in my final year of residency in a surgical subspecialty, um, okay. and, uh, last academic year in the months, um, before applying to fellowship, I, um, I developed a medical condition that was affecting my hands, um, like okay. it was restricting my motion and my dexterity. Um, and unfortunately this first flare, occurred like as I was starting the rotation in my chosen subspecialty. So I like I attributed my symptoms to stress and anxiety, some sort of manifestation of like feeling like I was underperforming, um, because that kind of just seemed like the logical explanation to me. Um and I didn't and I I don't have a great relationship with the faculty who are supposed to be my mentors. And I didn't want them to think I was like crazy or weak. So I didn't say anything about what was going on. Mm -hmm. But when I got it worked up, um, I got this diagnosis as I was submitting my applications. Um, And I'm in a, it's okay. I mean, um, I I was in a, I'm in a demanding, uh, like a physically demanding specialty. Yeah. Uh, And I kind of already think I'm a little disadvantaged in that regard since I'm female and this was impacting my ability to operate and it definitely messed with my mood and confidence and self-esteem and, um, and in part also because I wasn't responding to treatment throughout interview season. And I eventually started responding. I'm super happy with my match and whether it's true or not, though, I I just feel like I'm really far behind um, and I'm really kind of insecure about it. Um, and so I just keep finding myself in this cycle now where I get more and more anxious about putting myself out there because I'm afraid they're like, I guess like people are going to find out that I'm behind or think I'm a bad surgeon or write me off or something. Um, and I don't, and like, part of me wants to explain the situation, but I also don't think I can explain it to the people who matter because they're the sort of who will say like, I'm, I'm making excuses for, for my performance or like, even if they didn't say that, I don't want them to lower their expectations. So I'm like, I'm busting my ass. I'm trying to catch up, but I feel like I've damaged my reputation at this point. And I don't know how to come back from it. Like other than riding out the clock and starting over somewhere new, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I've, um, I've had the privilege of talking with a number of different surgeons who have faced medical diagnoses that really do impact your physical being, 
So of course that impacts your ability to do the mechanical part of the job, not to mention the fact that there's fatigue involved. And a lot of times there's treatments that can be unpleasant based on whatever the diagnosis is. And then, you know, you have the stress of the job plus the stress of a diagnosis and the stress of being a human and all of that. And I think that it is um, something that I've seen people face with so much elegance. And um, so I really want to do my best to help you get some clarity around what you've just shared. Um, I heard two two thoughts in that, which what, what you just gave us, I like to, um, let me back up a second. So I like to kind of be like real grade school about this because I know people are going to listen back and they're going to want to learn how to apply mm-hmm. things that you share and other people share. They want to learn how to apply these things in their own lives. And so I will talk about the nuts and bolts of the, of what we're doing so that they can then practice for themselves. So what you just have done is shared with us a thought download. And that's the thing that we often will just, you know, do on a piece of paper or do on a journal or whatever, but it can also be done verbally, which I find awesome because it takes a lot less time. You can just kind of like vomit the words out. And then that's a thought download. And so what we want to do from there is pick out a couple, like really one thought that seems to be the one that's um, bothersome in reality, there are going to be um, a number of them that are bothersome, but to create a model, we just want to take one thought and see what that is kind of doing for you in your life. So that being said, I heard two that sounded like maybe something that would be worth talking a little bit more deeply about. And let me tell you what I heard. And then you tell me what you think. I heard one, I'm far behind And then the other one that I heard was I've damaged my reputation. Yeah. I mean, I think those are, that's like the the core sort of, of, of my concerns at this point and sort of what's, what things that I think are holding me back at this point. Yeah. So let's just pick one. Is there one that you, that just resonates more with you in this moment? Um, I think feeling like I'm behind. Feeling like I lost a lot of ground. Okay. So in, I have my model set up here already on the whiteboard. I don't know if you can see it, but Mm -hmm. this is being recorded. So people will be able to see it. So anyway, we're going to put like the diagnosis up top. And then of course, when that happens, there's, you miss work, you miss stuff. And so what do you think is the facts that we can put up in the circumstance about it? Other than the fact that there's a diagnosis that's impacting your physical being. Um, I mean, I think the, some of the facts were just that it physically became hard to, um, to do some of the tasks that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And then that I, I think it also then m- maybe mentally became hard for me to, uh, to, to work towards it. You know, I think like in the sense of, like I was trying to prepare myself for my career being over before it started type thing. Like I, I think I, I stopped putting in the effort that I needed to be putting in maybe. Um, I don't know oh, if that's interesting. a fact. Yeah. Like I think I, um, but I, I think maybe the biggest fact was just that it, that I, I physically couldn't keep up the way I needed to. Okay. So did you like, 
can you, can we have it in something that is um, like a really concrete thing? Like, did you miss a month or six months? Did, were you unable to work like certain hours of the day? Um, were you like physically not present for part of it? Or can there, is there a way to kind of make it factual? Like if it was physically uh, fatigued, like unable to carry out like physical tasks. Like I, I didn't have to miss a lot of time, but there were just like, um, like, I guess I was, I was on some particularly demanding sub, uh, subspecialty rotations at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I, I do orthopedics. Um, and so I just, I physically could not do some of the things that I needed to do. Like I just wasn't, didn't have the, the hand strength. Oh, okay. So then like, okay. So let's just say you had to nail a fever. Do like pain. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Let's just, I, I want to try to get as concrete as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so say like you're in the OR and you have to nail a femur, but that day your hands weren't strong to hold a mallet. Um, so then what would you do instead? I mean, I would, I would, I kept trying to, and then eventually, you know, the, the attending who would be in there would just, you know, take, take over and do it for me. So like I, because I could not do it. Yeah. So, so this is really important to clarify because you were there, you showed up, Mm -hmm. but for, okay. Okay. This is, I think this is really critical. So you, you were there, you showed up you were still physically present for whatever learning was there to be had. And you did the best that you could. It sounds like, mm-hmm. right. And then at some point the attending is going to just like take over the case and finish the case. So the reason I want to clarify that is because there are a number of different ways that we will kind of make meaning out of our hands, not working the way we're used to them working. And when you were describing everything, I was imagining that you were like having to take time off or like not be present for treatments or doctor's appointments or whatever that you were like, not physically there, but you were there. I was there. Yeah. Essentially nobody, nobody knows that anything was wrong other than I was just physically struggling. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is fair to then keep the C just what it is. It's this diagnosis and you're having these physical impacts of Mm -hmm. this diagnosis. And then the thought that comes up among many, but we're just going to clarify this one thought is, is I'm far behind. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess the other thing we could put up in the C is like attending would take over case maybe. Mm -hmm. That happens no matter what, by the way. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty as charged. Uh, okay. So, but you're, then, then the thought that comes up is I'm far behind. And then when you think that thought, I heard you say the feeling already too, which was insecure. I wrote that down when you were speaking. Do you think that's true? That's a fair, um, yeah Uh, like insecure inadequate you know like just not yeah yeah and then when you're feeling insecure or inadequate then what do you do because the model and just as a quick review Mm -hmm. for everybody is the circumstances the thing that is outside of us that or in your case if it's a diagnosis is actually Mm -hmm. inside of you but it's 
you know, the thing that is the fact that we can't control. And then that triggers us to have thoughts. Our thoughts then create our feelings. Our feelings drive our actions and actions or reactions. And then those actions are what create our lived experience or our result. So when you feel insecure, what do you do? I, mean, I, I back off. Like, like I, I take a take a step back. I, I mean, maybe I like I withdraw a little bit. Yeah, and I heard a couple of other things when you were speaking. I heard you say like you were already like, um, oh, you said you stopped putting in effort. Would you say that's the same thing as withdrawing? Yeah. Okay. Um. Then. I also heard you say something about like assuming that your career was over before it even began. Something yeah, I'd say that was probably like a feel, like a feeling that I I had, and I think that's part of the part of why I would back off sometimes. Yeah, it's actually a thought that you have. It's like, and it's normal. This is a completely normal thing to do. When the human brain is faced with uncertainty, which undoubtedly when you have a, a something going on in your physical body that you like have a diagnosis for, or you're trying to figure out that diagnosis, that could be, you know, a time of uncertainty. And so I think one of the most fascinating things that we do is <clears throat> we, we, so we have so much discomfort around uncertainty, whether we know it or not that our brains will automatically start creating worst case scenarios. It'll be like, well, you know, like for sure, I'm not going to be able to do this job. I'm not going to be able to get the right treatment. Then everybody's going to be judging me and nobody's going to like give me any slack. They're just going to think I suck, even though, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, And on it goes. So our brains will start to ruminate basically. And so I wonder, does that, land for you does that sound like something that you were um experiencing like rumination or like a thought loop yes yeah definitely so tell us what you ruminated about if you don't Um, yeah i mean i think before i started responding to treatment it was definitely the thought loop was that that this was point pointless you know that i was you know put all this effort in and it's over um so i don't know why i'm still here and then maybe after I started responding to treatment, it's was the, like, I'm so, I'm so far behind and I can't catch up. Yeah. And then tell us a little bit about what your brain is doing in terms of like the assumptions it's making about what other people are going to think or do or say. Um, that they're not going to give me opportunities because, because they think I can't do something. And then that would cause me to fall further behind. Okay. So then what we can see here is from these actions, which this is a, it's a nice list. Um, 
but we can stop there and just see what kind of a result that this is creating, which is basically you prove to yourself that you're far behind. You prove that this is like true. Like we do mm-hmm. this all the time. It's completely normal to prove to yourself that this is the truth. So it's like what our brains want to see. And it's the only thing they can see. So um, then with the model, hang on, I get, I get ahead of myself here. Prove. It's like you're living also in this experience of being far behind and can't catch up. And as we know, the result then will just kind of go back and strengthen or prove mm-hmm. the, the original thought, not the circumstance. Because if we lined up a hundred orthopedic surgeons and had this be their circumstance, there would be a hundred different primary thoughts they would have about it. Now, a lot of them are probably going to be similar, something like I'm far behind or like, you know, something devastating and whatever, because that's usually the way human brains go. But then others are going to be like, well, I think, you know, I can overcome this or we're just going to keep trying or like people overcome lots of different things. There are lots of challenges that get thrown people's way. So like there could be just this infinite response. So what we want to do is just sit with this for a moment and just have the awareness that this is one thought that's creating a feeling for you that's driving you almost like fuel. It's like fueling your actions or who you're being, how you're showing up or not showing up. And then that creates your lived experience, which is basically it like makes it already true that you're far behind. Can you see that? I can. I think the truth is I don't even, I don't even know if I'm far behind. I don't, I don't, we don't work with other people who are the same, like, PGY year as us. So I, and nobody's specifically told, told me that, that at least not, not since right before, not since before I was diagnosed, like I haven't been Mm -hmm. told that I'm behind at all. So I don't actually know this to be true, but I also don't know how to, how to ask or get that assessed without having a conversation about what's going on, which I don't think I can have. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing to think about, right? It's like, well, First of all, let's just notice that you see this with some clarity and you can see, oh, all right. Like, I totally know why I did this. This is totally a human brain thing to do. And this in and of itself is not a problem, but living there and just kind of like letting it kind of overtake your life is going to be the thing that actually does keep you behind. So that's like step one. Step two, you already noticed, which I just want to commend you for, is like, you already know that this isn't the full truth. And this is a good opportunity to remind people that at any given model that we're working on, it's literally one teeny tiny fraction of the giant picture of our, of our lives. But our brains only want to focus on that one teeny tiny fraction. And so just using this as an awareness tool to then allow yourself to expand out from that and say, okay, wait a minute, this might not even be true. How do I even know this is true? I, you know, I don't really know. Like then, then all of a sudden you're able to 
open up to these other questions. And once you're open to other questions, you're not feeling as shitty, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like, Oh, maybe there's more to the picture. Um, And then of course, because I just started talking so much, I forgot my third point. Oh, it was, how do you know? And you, it sounds like you're personally not really ready to start talking about this diagnosis of other people, which is totally fine and your prerogative. So if that's a decision you've already made, you don't really want to talk about this with other people. How would you know within yourself if you're far behind or not behind and why would it, you know, what does that mean? So can we get a little more depth on what, what that really means? I mean, I think the way for me to figure it out would be to either, you know, operate with my classmates, which is a hard thing to, I don't know, to coordinate. I've I've managed to do it a few times, you know, just by going in on weekends and joining cases. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that we're probably all in very different places, depending on what it is we're, you know, what subspecialties we've chosen to do. And so Mm -hmm. doing, you know, joints cases with a PGY5 going into joints is probably a different experience than doing somebody who's going into hand. So I I don't know how I can truly know um, this even have you ever had an experience? This is a really, this is like a, an experience question, like something you felt in your body in your lifetime. Have you felt that sensation in your body when like, when you're on, when you're like really cooking, maybe it's like that flow state. Maybe it's, you know, when you just feel like things are clicking and you're getting it and just things are, yeah, maybe yeah. like have a little more ease or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- yeah. Okay, good. So like, imagine what that feels like in your body. And it could be with regard to anything. Maybe it was a sport. Maybe it was a musical instrument. Maybe it was, you know, whatever. But if your body has that memory of what it is to not be behind in something, is there any cue in your body, I'm curious, that you can pick up, that you can trust in your own body, that you actually are right where you need to be. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just, like, let's just imagine you are going to graduate, say, in a month, and none of this other stuff matters. And do you have some internal information coming from your bodily senses about where you are with your knowledge base, with your skills base, with all of that. I mean, yeah, I think I get energetic, like I get energetic, energetic and excited about things when when I feel, when I feel like things are on point. Yeah. So can you use the memory of that and, and even just imagine Now, what it's like for you, say, in those moments where your hands weren't working well, or now that the treatment is working, now that you're kind of gaining strength and you're gaining stamina and these other things, like, are are you able to just go inside yourself and give yourself some reassurance that you are right where you need to be? 
it's a reasonable thing to try. I wonder, right? Because I feel like residency is often this kind of show of us just trying to figure out how to not get somebody mad at you. Um, like I know this because I teach residents now and I was a resident once upon a time. And so I, I know like, it's like this, you're kind of simultaneously trying to learn and gain skills and learn a thought process. But at the same time, what I see happening is like the residents really just are trying to figure out how to mimic their attendings so that they don't get yelled at. Just <laughs> so sad. Um, and I don't know if that's what your experience is like or not, but what I'm saying is, is like that feedback from an attending is super happy with you because you can mimic what they do is not exactly accurate to tell you if you're far behind or not far behind. That's true. (laughs) You know, yeah. like we're really just, we're just like doing a dog and pony show for these people just to, to kind of, um, not everybody. Okay. I don't want anybody to take this out of context. Not everybody, not all the time, but I just felt like in my own experience, I just had to kind of put on a show. And then hope that I was just getting enough experience along the way that everything was going to be fine. And I have to tell you, uh, like, I felt really fucking scared when I was my first year out doing everything on my own. I felt like I hadn't even done a residency because it was so scary coming out. So um, all of this is to say that we have these checkpoints for you understanding something based on your own level of trust in yourself, your level of trust in your knowledge, your level of dedication, your everything that's internal to you. And I wonder if you can get some feedback from that mm-hmm. rather than external feedback to validate whether or not you're behind. No, that's, that's fair. And it honestly might be more, meaningful too if uh I, I don't know that there's a good way to get that external feedback so I think that's worth trying yeah and then one other thing you said you're going to do a fellowship and you just match somewhere where you really like mm-hmm. so that's like a whole extra year this is true <laughs> there, and and I have seen many many residents come through in fact the other day I was working with the two And I was so delighted because number one, it was a female and I was so freaking happy. It was a female and I'm an orthopedic surgeon too. And so there aren't that many of us. And she just was amazing. She was so awesome. And I was like, this is, this is freaking fantastic. So I'm trying to really give her a lot of feedback to help her understand what I'm, what I'm noticing in her so she can register that. So it's like, Mm -hmm. she can register that this is like, when I notice that she's doing certain things with her hands, like, yes, this is, you're doing it. You're really, really doing it. She's a two. And I've had fours and fives that are about like fives that are about to graduate who didn't have the ease that she had as a two. So, you know, there is a wide range of skill and knowledge and all of that. And I feel like 
probably upon graduation, at least 50% of us could have used another year. Maybe other people can chime in on the chat part to say what their thoughts are on that, but there is such a wide variety. So that's where I also want to ask you to question what behind even means. Behind what? Behind who? Like, what's this bar? I don't know. Behind where I could be, but I don't, there's no way to know what that would be. Yeah. No, I think that's worth trying. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, so does anybody else have anything to add to this? Because this is where the wisdom of the community and the support of the community can really be hopeful because we've all kind of had these, um, these, um, oh shoot, chat is disabled. Uh Uh-oh, sorry guys. Um, Okay, somebody's cool breeze says chat is disabled. Thank you. Uh, but yes, a fellowship year was helpful for independence. Absolutely. I completely agree. I thought my first four years, I thought the military was good for independence. <laughs> I got to practice for four more years. <laughs> All right. Well, you, my friend, are going to be okay. And we're all here in support of you. I hope that this was helpful. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before I um, lower your hand and go on to the next person? No, that's great. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, that was really good. So um, who's next? Who has something else to add or questions? Anything else anybody wants to talk about? Okay, got. So I don't know if this is your initials, my friend. So I am going to rename you just in case. All right. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Um, I'm with Littles, so I may not have too long before I'm interrupted. So if anyone else has anything, they're welcome to kind of come in. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit, kind of changing gears about like, I think it sort of comes down to perfectionism in parenting, maybe. Mm -hmm. So um, there's been a lot going on on in life recently but the thing that like overwhelms me the most is my kids preschool stuff like having to change his preschool and Mm -hmm. just that it like hurts me that he has to go somewhere new and had a bad experience and um I don't know my husband made a comment of why do you feel like you have to be a perfect parent Mm-hmm. And that really resonated. So I think it has something to do with perfectionism that I think I kind of learned to deal with perfectionism in surgery and in our career. 
Um, but it's so much harder as a parent. I don't know, or maybe just because it's newer for me. I've only been doing it for four years. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's just start with his statement. Why do you feel like you need to be a perfect parent? So I'm going to put that in the C line because we can put things that people say in quotes up there. And the question I have to you is, is like, what is your thought that comes up? Like, when he says that, what do you think? Like, well, yeah, I want to be a perfect parent, don't you? Or, yeah, like, <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's kind of, yeah, I think it's kind of that. But like, well, of course, like, I did this knowingly, right? Like, I chose to do this. So I'm going to do it the best I can. And then also, um, like, like, we were talking with the last person about what does behind even mean? Like, what does perfect what parent does perfect mean? mean? What does that yeah. even mean? Yeah, I don't know. Happy, well-adjusted kids 24-7. <laughs> Which, with a toddler, is never going to be realistic. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, happy, well-adjusted kids. Sure, uh-huh. I think all of us would really like that. That's like the... Right. The... Uh, ultimate goal but that's they're humans too (laughs) right I think that's right over time with it but it's like they have their own model and their own thing and I can't control that so maybe some of it control too I don't know yeah Um, and it's a different person you know and they're going through something hard and I can't I can't control it or change it for them or deal with it for them Mm -hmm. it's just being a parent I know and it (laughs) from what I hear from people it doesn't necessarily get easier (laughs) yeah but let's get since you you kind of has this have this idea around perfectionism and sounds like your husband does too um like what would the thought be like okay he says why do you feel like you need to be a perfect parent it's more I don't know I guess just the of course they should be um which I don't know maybe ties into some of the like um, I don't know socializing us to be you know full-time moms and full-time surgeons all at the same time miraculously you know without dropping any balls when you think when you think of course I should be how do you feel I don't know um you know, anxious I guess because yeah. it's not I mean, like you're saying, another human is not something you have complete control over how they're going to behave all the time. Yeah. And so when you feel anxious with regards to the parenting, what do you do? Uh, Perseverate on it more and stew and read more parenting books that then sometimes make me feel guilty that I'm not doing all the things that you're supposed to, you know. Shame yourself. Yeah. And then I get kind of paralyzed. So like right now, I guess kind of the bigger situation is preschool change and have a couple potentially good options. Um, and I just, I can't, I can't decide. And it kind of comes down to me and I can keep talking with my son who has an input, but he also, you know, sport changes his mind and husband who has some input, but you know, ultimately, like I said, neither are bad options. I don't think. Yeah. So, but it's the feeling like I have to make the right choice because I don't want to move him again. And so. So let's say, let's say you made a choice. choice 
let's just say you made a choice and it didn't work out, then what? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess you're moving him again, or he's just dealing with it for a year, and the reality is he's four, and it's probably not the end of the world. <laughs> Yeah, so isn't this so fascinating? How it affects the rest of like the family and the snowball, you know, like if it's somewhere that's farther away, then the younger one has to sit in the car more and putting more strain, or if it's the one that has fewer hours, it's putting more strain on the nanny to take both of them at the same time. And you know, I don't know. So it's like, what's the well being for both of them and our extra health and my well-being to be able to see him more but know that he's you know somewhere that he enjoys so what i'm going to write in the action line is spin out with different scenarios <laughs> yeah which also adds to the indecision but the truth is is that like we're faced with making decisions all the time and <laughs> Like life or death decisions in surgery you're like sure you know we're trained to yeah. do that and the funny thing is it feels so much harder for some reason and that's, that's what I'm like but I, it's, at the end of the day he's gonna be up to me to it exactly a year and he's only four but like I can't let go of it yeah see now just talking through it you can you can hear your own guidance coming out it's like okay yeah so what I really, really want to offer to you, though, is to not beat yourself up about wanting to do a great job at being a parent. Like, if we want to use the word perfect, that's fine. And I feel like perfectionism, we're like beating up perfectionism quite a lot lately, which there are reasons for that. Because when perfectionism kind of drives us to stay small and and keep us anxious, that's one thing. But also, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be awesome at something. Did we lose you? It suddenly got super quiet. Uh-oh, we lost her. Well, hopefully she'll come back on. Um, so what I was saying is, is like, it's one thing to be bogged down with the idea that we have to be a perfect parent. And that could be coming from a number of different reasons. My guess is it comes mostly from, um, are you back? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. It me off randomly. So I missed a part of it. No, that's okay. So what I was saying is, is I feel like perfectionism like has gotten a bad rap because we talk about it in these terms as if it's such a bad thing and it, it keeps us anxious and it keeps us small. And it, you know, it's like the, the bad perfectionism, but there's also like the good perfectionism when we just want to be awesome at something. Like we just love our kids so much that we want to do right by them, whatever that means. Like, I think that what we really want to understand is, is, what is like, what's underlying it? What's the motivation under it? Is it that you just really want to take great care of your kid? Or yeah. is it that? And I don't want to repeat cycles of like, kind of things that my parents did. I guess because I had less than ideal parents. And so wanting to 
you know, I, I was never sure I even wanted to have kids. And so I'm like, well, damn it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right, you know, and make sure. I don't know. But yeah, it gives me this like kind of extreme anxiety around it. So like, everything is just very intense with. I think it's really important to note that now we understand like what's underneath us. Of course I should be, of course I should be feeling like I need to be a perfect parent. If what's under that is, is I don't want to repeat cycles that I experienced. That gives you some deeper insight as to what's motivating you and what's driving all of this, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. And the funny thing is, sometimes, you know, but isn't it interesting how we can take a look at kind of what you're doing and how you're carefully navigating the preschool situation and how you're considering things so thoughtfully about how the kid will have to make so much time in the car and then it's going to impact the nanny this way. Like what you're doing is already disrupting the cycles that you experienced because of the care with which you are trying to navigate this, even if it's unpleasant for you, like, even if it really doesn't feel good and you're having a hard time making the decision, just the very fact that it's hard for you to make this decision tells me the cycles are already being broken. I hope that everybody, I hope that makes sense for people and really like resonates with people. Like we are already doing the work. It's already in motion. And just knowing that who you are being, the parent that just really wants to break cycles. You're already being her. You're already being the parent who wants to break cycles. So really there's not as much, um, there's not as much heaviness with what the decision actually is because you're doing it either way. Like it's already happening. Yeah. And so what I wanted to circle back to was like, say you change preschools to preschool X and he's there for three months and it doesn't work out either. So yeah. then we just figure something else out. Right? You, you would just deal with whatever comes up. Yeah. And this happens a lot where people move. Circumstances in life come up where kids have to be pulled in and out of stuff all the time. Look what happened with COVID. Now, I'm not saying that was good for kids, but I'm saying that they survived. Military families move constantly. Um, People choose different schools. Like my own patients, since I'm in peds, uh uh-oh, we lost her again. My own patients, I hear them getting pulled in and out of schools, trying homeschool, going to a private school, going to public school. And so I think it's really easy for our brains to want to make it such a big deal when in reality... All we have to do is try something and see how it works out. All right. 
Sorry, I just didn't get that. But yes, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it was like a te technically challenging for us tonight. But I, I want to make sure you have a little resolution um, before we disable your talking to like give yourself a little bit of slack with the model that you're in. I totally see why you're in it. But I just wanted to offer this alternative that the reason might be more important or more um, rich than just wanting to be a perfect parent. It's really wanting to stop cycles of your own childhood, yeah. which you are already doing. Thanks, Cindy. I guess that makes it easier to... Um... Like you can acknowledge that part, right? But I'm never gonna be perfect. So, like, overcome that, I guess. So. Yeah. And so, I think there's some room here to have grace for yourself when you notice you're saying, "Oh, I'm trying to be a perfect parent," and feeling anxious. You can gently say, "Yeah," because I'm just trying to stop the cycles. I just want to do my best by my kids. That's a good thing. And these kids are going to be fine because I'm already doing it. So like the, the school that you choose is not relevant because you're just going to pick one. You're going to go and you're, it's either going to work or it isn't. And if it works great, if it doesn't, then you just repeat this process and then you'll do that forever <laughs> until they're out of the house. <laughs> Oh, and then you just keep on worrying about them, right? It doesn't like end when they're <laughs> yeah. reach a certain point. I do. I just I think you're already getting the job done. And I'm hoping that this discussion has helped you see that. Thank you. Yeah. All righty, lovely bling. Let's lower your hand and then we'll see if anybody else. We have 15 more minutes. Yay, here we go. Cool Breeze is up. Hi, Cool Breeze. Hi, good evening. How you doing? Good. Good. So, here's what I was thinking about. Like, I've always thought of my call weekends, like, I, I always call them call. And I've noticed lately that, I mean, I've always worked a lot on call weekends, you know, in the hospital rounding and seeing patients in the ER and the OR. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, I've come to this realization after, you know, a decade or well, more than that, doing this, mm -hmm. that it's really like call and call is just like being available. It's like, you know, it's hard work, you know, it's like a, even like a long day that's more than a long day because you know, you're the only surgeon on and you're getting pulled a million different directions without any help. And I, I think it used to be like, I really was like, oh, why am I so far behind? Why does it take me so long to write notes? Why does it take me a long time to round? Because I've, you know, these are my patient, my partner's uh, patients, and I'm just getting to know them. Um, I just recently I've trying to give myself more grace in that. And I've actually stopped calling it call. Like I do with my husband, call it call, but like for other people, because I think they think 
all means we're not, we're just like available, but it's not that at all, you know, we're working. Yeah. So I don't, I guess I'm not sure what the model is on this, but it's just, well, a- let's see. So we'll just put call weekend in the C line and see what comes up for you. Like, is it that you've, have you already renamed it something for yourself that works better for you? Um, I just call it work. I'm working this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, we can dive into the model in a second, but one of the things I've noticed that I experience on call is this shift in my whole experience of the world. It is like my nervous system is super jacked up. So it really doesn't matter if I'm working, if I have like 15 cases or if I have zero, right? In fact, sometimes it's actually easier for me to just be busy so that I can be there and not being worried about the next time my beeper's going to, I don't have a beeper, but next time my cell phone, I'm going to get a text message, but it's like being, you know, being at home, being there, just being kind of like, uh, on, Yes. Creates the sense of hypervigilance that really does activate the human nervous system. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, that immediately sets us into a stress response. And some of us have, I think, more challenges with that, especially around executive functioning. Because when your nervous system is really activated, and if you are in no kidding, like fight, flight, freeze, or fawn responses in that like really activated stress cycle, then the lower parts of the brain are the parts that are working. And the executive parts of the brain are you know, the ones that are involved in planning and like the, the note writing and all of that stuff. Those Mm -hmm. tasks are just going to be harder to perform because that part of your brain is not as accessible. Interestingly, though, like a lot of times on call, I I will be able to operate like a rock star. And I think that you simultaneously with that nervous system activation, you get the ability to like laser focus where it super duper matters. Mm -hmm. And then everything else just becomes like a fucking slodge. It's like, so I mean, that just might be some nervous system stuff that you're experiencing. Um, And there are like tons of ways to kind of try to manage your nervous system on call. But that's aside from the model. But like what I mean, just for you and how your body responds to being on call, what uh, maybe doing the model that helps you relate to it a little differently than you currently do would be useful because it sounds like you relate to it now in a way that like call sucks, call is horrible. It's going to be super busy. I'm going to be running around with no help trying to get all this shit done. And then it's going to be exhausting. And, you know, and that all might be true. I'm not trying to say it isn't. Right. But like when that's what we're facing, it just feels like total crap. Oh yeah, totally. So (laughs) if that's all true and that's what call is like, how do you want to relate to that? Well, I mean, like maybe the ideal situation would be like being excited to be on call, but I'm I don't know that I'm ever going to get there. So I just need to work on some bridge thoughts. <laughs> yeah. This isn't as bad as I think it is. 
that's actually great. Like, because so often in life, we blow stuff out of proportion in our own brains and stuff ends up not being that bad or we survive it. Or maybe it is that bad and we just get through it. Yeah. You know, so let's, let's play around with that one. Then this isn't as bad as I think it is. Yeah. So when you think that, what comes up? Um, well, that feels better. It, uh, like, um, probably feels less overwhelming. And if it's also, well, and then the action would be that I, I would just be able to keep working and, you know, chipping away at the big mountain of task. And so the results would, I would be, I would get stuff done instead of just being like, ah, yeah. So I put the feeling as less overwhelmed yes. and I put the action as chip away at tasks, get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just kind of plug through it. It's not like it's pleasant. It's not like we love it, but it's also not like having your fingernails pulled out. Oh, wait. Exactly. And then, and so then the, the result is, is that it's not the, the experience is not as bad as it could be. Yeah. Right. I like that. The, the trick is just trying to conjure this up. <laughs> right. <laughs> because the human brain is like not so excited about conjuring this particular model. Yeah. It's right. going to want to just complain about it so much. Now, I want to ask you this question. Are there any times on call when you're like actually having a good time or feeling really good about yourself or like feeling like you're in a zone? Um, Is there anything good ever? You're right. In the OR, it definitely is a different situation on call because like everybody, you know, the whole team, we're all not wanting to be there but we can have fun and I try to make it fun like tell funny jokes or mm-hmm. <laughs> we listen to music you know yeah I noticed the same thing too the weekend crew they're fun it's like a family it's like everybody's in the trenches there's just kind of a different feeling there's a camaraderie often and this may not be true for everybody but I've experienced that a lot where either at night or on the weekends, it's, it's just kind of like this unspoken thing that we're all here and we're all in this together kind of thing, which is kind of fun. And like, are there times when you've done really life-saving work? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just to like own that for a minute, because we will breeze right past it, (laughs) Right. you know? But just for a minute to just live in that and soak in that and just be like, wait a second, what I can do is pretty amazing. Yeah. That's like, there is very little that I'm afraid of on call. Right. Because that's how skilled I am. And I'm sure you feel the same way for your yeah. subspecialty. And it's, it's just kind of like, huh, that's kind of amazing. Yes. And just giving yourself 
these little commercial breaks from the general programming of this is the worst thing ever. Just getting these little commercial breaks of, well, I'm kind of awesome. And well, the team is kind of awesome. And well, like there's all these other things that make it a much bigger picture. Right. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. And then, so we covered the nervous system part. We covered that there's always a larger picture at play. And then the other thing is, is do you have any ability within your schedule to give yourself a break after being on call? Can you get a recovery day? Can you build it in for yourself? Well, I've been trying to stop my Mondays, like schedule cases by noon, just so that if I add stuff in, but that doesn't always work. And I probably could not even do noon. I just hate to lose my block day. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. I get it. And so then you're like, all right, this is another layer of complexity to it because it sounds like you might even have a choice there. So if you have a choice, what's more important? What, what do you value more losing your block day or using your block day versus giving yourself just a little, like a few hours, even a breathing room after such an exhausting weekend. And so then when you see that you have a choice to make, then, then you have more power. It's more empowering Mm -hmm. than to feel like you're just like brutally victimized by call. Right. Very true. Yeah. I think call is one of those things. It's one of those sticky wickets that we all face. And I have a call care plan. I've posted a couple of times. I can post it again. It's really kind of cheesy, but it works. And um, it's kind of like having a self-care plan, but I do it as a call care plan. So I get it ready 24 hours before a call shift starts or before a call weekend starts, where uh-huh. I just have all of my things in place of what I need to have for me personally in my body to be successful. And uh-huh. it's you know, stuff around managing my nervous system. It's stuff about like what I'm going to eat. And if there's donuts, am I going to like not beat the shit out of myself for eating the donuts? Cause like, mm-hmm. I give myself right. a you know, I'm really forgiving with myself and always want to consider, like I say, pay, I say, I pay myself first. So I always prioritize certain things for me when I'm on call unapologetically. Yeah. And then some other things on the call plan are, um, like just knowing who your team is, knowing if if my worst case scenario comes in, who are the people that I can call to help me? And right. then, like just having that all kind of planned out ahead of time, I feel personally gives me a lot more peace going in because I'm like, oh, okay, well, then it's just not that bad. Like right. it doesn't really matter what happens now because I'm ready. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Cool Breeze. We appreciate you coming, rounding us out. And it looks like we're at six o'clock. So we will sign off and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for everybody uh, participating so generously with their stories tonight. Good night, everybody.